This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hi there and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and an art lover. I'm also a big fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day I'm going to share a few of my favorite deep cuts with you, so let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so... Don't leave too soon, I'm gonna teach you stuff No, it won't be tough, gonna go a year till you've had enough It's 365 Today in 2002, the art exhibit, Places of Their Own, opened at the National Museum of Women in the Arts in Washington, D.C. The exhibit brought together works of Georgia O'Keeffe, Frida Kahlo, and Emily Carr, and drew comparisons between the artists in ways that created new theories about their work. Women have worked tirelessly to be recognized in the arts in the past century, and rarely have they gotten the artistic and intellectual credit that they deserve. With shows like this one, the public got incredible exposure to women artists and their process. Let's reverse and dive in. Art historian Sharon Udall is the brains behind the exhibit. She began planning it seven years before the exhibit even opened, after noticing the through lines between the work of O'Keeffe and Carr. They both define their surroundings in their art. O'Keeffe was well known for this in America, with her colorful hill and desert scenes, but Carr was less acknowledged, even though she had a similar rendering of the west coast of Canada. When Udall realized that the artists also expressed national identity in their art, she decided to compare them both to Frida Kahlo and her representations of Mexico. Kahlo uses nature as a subject than the self. But she did integrate the nature of Mexico into her work as a metaphor. The works were selected not only to showcase the individual artist's work, but to clarify the artistic and biographical links between the women. Each of them lived and worked in the early mid-20th century. Georgia O'Keeffe was from America, Kahlo was from Mexico, and Carr was from Canada. All three artists painted the natural world, but integrated it into their work in different ways. Carr painted native villages. Canadian rainforests, totem poles, and mythical creatures. O'Keeffe painted flowers, cow skulls, prairies, and pentonite crosses. Kahlo painted a vast array of self-portraits of her in different settings. Sixty-two works by these three artists were on view. Udall believed that all the women expressed the essence or spirit of their countries through their work. Udall did more than create the show with her research, though. She also put it into a book, Carr O'Keeffe Kahlo, Places of Their Own published by Yale University Press. The themes of the book are nature, culture, and the public self. A documentary was later adapted from both the show and the book, called Bone Wind Fire. It was directed by Jill Sharp. The documentary combined the artist's words from letters and journal entries and images to explore their creative processes. The similarities between the artists went beyond their art and into their lives. Both Kahlo and O'Keefe married older, influential male artists, Diego Rivera and Alfred Stieglitz respectively. They became celebrities both for their art and their well-publicized relationships and had to navigate this complex mix of personal and creative fame. Carr, in contrast, was single and unattached. 
It's been speculated that her status as a single woman is a part of the reason she didn't get as much public recognition in her life as O'Keefe and Kahlo did. Though the art of Kahlo and O'Keefe of course speaks for itself, they were more often in the public eye because of the events and social occasions they attended with their aristocratic husbands. It's possible that their fame was connected to both this high-profile public life and their art, while Carr was not in public social spheres in the same way, and thus it was harder for her to gain public recognition. Carr's art came into the public eye about 10 years before she died. She was part of a show of Canadian painters at the Tate Gallery in London, and after that her paintings were featured in the National Gallery and the Art Gallery of Toronto. Carr wasn't disappointed in her lack of recognition. She said her art was for herself, not for fans or for fame. She wanted to express herself and satisfy artistic impulses. Places of Their Own concluded with a section on the public self, which, in turn, showcased the author's inner selves as well as their outward-facing art. In a departure from the majority of O'Keeffe's work, which exhibits seriousness and austerity, the gallery showed some of her sillier paintings, like sets of trees, of which she said, When I paint trees, I am trees. For Kahlo's part, the section of the exhibit focused on her struggles with infertility and chronic pain. In another reference to the place of the show's title, the exhibit displayed photographs of each artist's studio. Kahlo's studio was artistically cluttered, both with her everyday items and Mexican keepsakes. O'Keeffe's was sparse and clean, like the desert she painted. Carr worked in a trailer, caravan combo, that took her around Canada to her various subjects. In this way, the show alluded to Virginia Woolf's famous dictum, that women writers and artists need to have a room of their own. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now from painting to my favorite art form, music. Today, in 2004, OutKast became the first hip-hop group to win Album of the Year at the Grammys. They won for the album Speaker Box, The Love Below. Alas, it wasn't just the first hip-hop album to win Album of the Year. In fact, no other album classified as hip-hop by the Grammys has won the award ever. Though that's a big honor for OutKast, I definitely think that hip-hop should be more represented in the important categories. Evanescence won Best New Artist, but 50 Cent, who had been nominated for In the Club, came up on stage anyways because, well, it's actually it's hard to say exactly what was going through 50 Cent's mind when he did it, but here's what happened. He got up from a seat, he ran onto the stage with Evanescence, and ran around the stage. Amy Lee and the other members of Evanescence took it in stride, laughing, and laid it a facepalm that has been immortalized by internet goers forevermore. Lee even thanked 50 Cent himself in her speech, ad-libbing, in addition to 50 Cent, I'd like to thank my record label Windup for finding us, especially Diana Meltzer for believing in me. That's a great way to put a fun spin on an unexpected moment. 
And now for our final segment of the day, I'm gonna look into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on a February 8th in my life. February 8th, um, I was making a PowerPoint called the Norovirus and the Winter Olympics. Can't quite remember what it was about. I believe that it was about um, trigger warning for mention of vomit. If that makes you uncomfortable, you might not wanna listen to the story. But the norovirus is basically a fast-spreading stomach flu, which results in people um, vomiting very profusely, um, very rapidly as well. Uh, And it spread, I think, at the Olympics. I don't remember. I made this for my anatomy class in, what was it? This year was 2018. Can't remember what year it happened, uh, but apparently I decided to make a PowerPoint presentation about it. And I believe the reason I did it was because it was actually based off of an experience that I had in my own life where um, I was at a summer camp and the norovirus broke out. It was like all over the news. It was horrible. I just remember like you can imagine like a bunch of sick nine-year-olds running around vomiting because they don't know what's going on with them and the camp doesn't know either until we figured out that it was the norovirus that one kid who had showed up late to the whole entire camp because they were sick came when they were not recovered yet very fun times as it goes uh and ironically they were in my cabin which was super fun uh i got sick so did my friends it's it's glad it's over but i think that was like the closest thing that i had experienced to a pandemic until you know future events happened. Come back tomorrow for more weird and funky facts and please subscribe on your favorite podcasting device. I'll see you tomorrow. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff. No, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365.